When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Mary and Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up and go out quickly, and they followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man kept this man from dying? This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is the gospel of the Lord, but this is not the end of the story. And it is still a word for us today. Thanks be to God. When Pastor Mark asked me to bring a good word to you during the midweek of Lent, I made the mistake of saying yes before I knew what the topic was. <laughs> Lamenting. I looked it up, to mourn aloud, a deep wailing and crying out in grief, to regret remonstratively. No, I lamented. Oh yes, let's spend some time talking about the one thing we Christians and most people I know hate to do, talk about grief. As long as the next time I told Pastor Mark, I want my topic to be joy and life and love and grace and peace, anything but grief. <laughs> you all have set 
aside one night a week for lamenting. Illness, greed, war, and tonight the lamenting of all lamenting, grief. And God said, it is good. There are some traditions and some cultures that do loud and demonstrative lamenting well. And some of us have been privy to it. Some of us have watched and have given the side eye even to those people who throw themselves onto a body or throw themselves on the ground when they've received bad news, the death of a loved one or an injury. And I too have been guilty of the side eye. And yet I dream of this freedom of untethered grief it would feel so cathartic to actually physically do the grieving instead of stuffing it all in and telling everyone, I'm fine. I'm fine. We, the frozen chosen Lutherans, however, are typically more restrained. Our grieving is mostly held inward creating havoc in our gizzards, in our bellies, in our minds, in our brains. Grieving for us is culturally appropriated to a calendar of acceptable behaviors, crying yes, but not too long and not for too, too loud. Now, no wailing, that's, that's a no, no wailing. Depression, yes, it's allowed, but only for a time that won't affect the calendar of our family's needs or my work, my job. I can be depressed, and people would expect it, but let's not talk about it. It's almost like Bruno. Let's not talk about it. And while I do not need to tell you, because you have the world's greatest pastor and Pastor Mark Havel. You've probably heard this over and over again, but I will anyway because there's, it's so important. There's no one way to grieve. There is no right way to grieve. There's no tidy checklist that we can check off. And bless Dr. Kubler-Ross who wrote about the five stages of grief, you know, denial and anger and bargaining and depression and acceptance. But what about bewilderment, scapegoating, despair, reconstruction, addiction, guilt, re-examining our faith? And there is no order to any of these things. We can't just go down and check off one by one and think that, okay, we've done these five things, we're good to go. No, we can revisit all of these things and more. Yay! You know that timeline that says, you know, this is some people's faith, you know, my faith, you know. <laughs> it's kind of the same way with grief. You don't just go from A to B. It's messy. It's ugly. It comes at unexpected times. You can be looking like you're doing just fine. And then all of a sudden, a cardinal lands in your window and you just start bawling. A week later, a year later, five years later, ten years later, 
That's the hazard of love, is this grieving. It's hard, but it's a necessary element of the human condition if we are people that love. Nobody enjoys it. And yet, if I were to be perfectly honest, I hope that when I die, there's somebody there to grieve because it will mean that I've made a difference in somebody's life. I don't want people to grieve, but yet I do want people to grieve my death. I want people to grieve your death. I want people to grieve because they care, but then get over it. You know, the, the, uh, you know they have those funeral processions down south where it's the dirge, you know, and then they have the jazz band afterward. That's, that's what I want. I want both. I want the full meal deal of, of grieving. In our gospel reading tonight, all of the characters are grieving, all of them. Mary and Martha are blaming and angry. If you'd only come sooner, Jesus. They want to blame him. And Jesus weeps. He's a spectacle. He's showing this emotion that we're kind of surprised at. I mean, he's God for God's sake. God doesn't cry because God's in control, right? I don't really think so. If you'd only come sooner. And the onlookers are befuddled. If this is the Jesus that attracts me, and he's laser-focused on weeping and grieving, it doesn't seem right. Something seems off. I want to jump into this gospel story. I want to jump in and take Jesus in my arms and put my arms around him and say, oh, honey, it's okay. I know you're sad. And then just sit and not say anything more. This is off my script, but did anybody watch the Academy Awards? Not the one thing, but the, the other one where Liza Minnelli was in the wheelchair. And you look at her and you go, oh, and you sort of grieve for her vitality. And what a strong person she was and a voice that she had and this energy she brought to the world. And then you see her kind of shriveled up in this wheelchair. And then Lady Gaga, who's like Mother God, has her hand on her and says, I got you. I mean, it was like, it was a sacred moment. I, I, I just can't explain it. But that's, that's what I wanted to do to Jesus. I wanted to say, I got you. We don't often think how much we affect God. I think God does grieve so much in this world. And I think for us to be compassionate people who love, 
every day we have the opportunity to say to God, we've got this. Let me go take a meal. Let me go give a hand to someone. Let me go just sit with someone who's lonely. Let me not argue that point. Let me just listen. Jesus began to weep and the people said, see how he loved him. It was not his intention, I'm sure, but Jesus normalizes this grief. Someone who we love dies, it's normal to grieve. We lose a job, it's normal to grieve. We lose our well-being through sickness or injury, it's normal to grieve. We lose a relationship, it's normal to grieve. We lose the control of the way things used to be. Remember the way the used, you know, the things used to be? You know, the gas prices used to be lower. Our grocery bill used to be lower. It seemed like people were kinder. It seemed like you would know what to expect when you come to church, that we'd sing those old hymns, and now there's somebody on a piano doing, I don't know what she does over there. I don't know if she does anything crazy, but you never know. Someday she may go in and you're going to say, what happened to Amazing Grace? Can't we just do that every week? I love a good metaphor. And for me, grief is like compost. I think it's like a big murky pile of smell, smelly, yucky, dead stuff full of mystery, but it's not really dead. It's alive. It has nutrients. It's the stuff where things start growing out of it. And I feel like that's what our grief is also. It might be mucky and murky, but it's necessary for life because we need to get up and love again. Still, I believe with all my heart that God is with us in our grief and in that compost pile, nurturing the growth and the life that comes from the uncomfortableness of darkness and grief and death. I do not wish you grief and the burden and the murkiness that comes with it because I've put my hands in compost pile, wet compost pile, and it's not comfortable. I don't wish you grief, but I do wish you love, knowing that the burden of love is grief. Love points to what we believe in these days, life, death, and resurrection. Kate Bowler puts it this way, we all need a bit of permission to allow ourselves time and space to feel the weight of loss and to move through it in our own way. This burden of love cannot be defined or drawn, only suffered. But what must be said, what must be given, is the permission to feel it, all of it, not as a state, but as a process. And no one can tell you what that process is for you. No one can tell you. So gently Gently 
let grief just lead you through. At Roots of Life, we are studying through our Lent um, Kate Bowler's book called Good Enough. And I'm going to recommend that to you. It's 40 Days of Devotion. And it's on the premise that God loves you just the way you are. And that this ladder climbing of achieving things only burdens us more. And I think that we cannot go through this life without staying on the bottom rung sometimes in our grief. I think it's necessary. When we climb and we make acquisition of things, our motivation for living, it's not what love is. But there is plenty of room for grief in this world. Let us pray. God, we are blindsided. What we thought was impossible, even unthinkable, has brought us to our knees. God, things don't make sense. The innocent still suffer and buildings still fall and families still grieve. Help us to know what to feel, what to do, and how to grieve together. Blessed are we who let reality in, though our bodies shudder. Blessed are we who ask and wait and ask again for answers that may not come, for hope that seems hard to find, for comfort that is not easily found. Along the way, show us how to live when we've lost the things we cannot get back. Remind us that, O oh God, you are our home and our refuge when life's cruelty and our fragility are too difficult to shoulder alone. Be with us, O God of all comfort. Amen.